This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. We have a very, very, very special episode today. It is episode 250. Hey, Simon, congrats, man. I honestly... Uh, that seems like a, a big milestone. I, just that number feels like a huge milestone. So um, I just want to say thank you for, for doing this journey with me, and I appreciate you. We're doing a special personal questions from the listeners here. I said the only rule is nothing finance and investing related. Just uh, you know, hot takes on, on random things, and then we're going to get into the content of the podcast. We're talking about some creepy stuff coming out from chat gpt and and bing and the, the continued war on search uh i have a segment called don't cuck the zuck uh which you know is i, I strongly believe in and then we're going to talk about some results from good old canadian tire airbnb and restaurant brands international some canadian icon- iconic brands uh in that mix simon let's uh let's kick it off here first I have a question from Cal Hallett. Greatest athlete of all time, in your opinion. Uh, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, people may think I'm going to go hockey, but uh, I'm not. So for me, it would have to be Mike Trout. For He's not the most you know well-known athlete, I think, in part because the Los Angeles Angels have really sucked over the last decade, uh, despite him being pretty much the best player in the world from – statistically just an alien yeah yeah like yes. he's, i like i like by the way i'm i'm, I'm on board for this pick i like it <laughs> yeah and basically for those who know baseball know this but his first year was you know an average player year i think it was a partial year and then the second year he just became essentially the best player in baseball and he has been for the past 10 years what's amazing about me mike trout is that He's not just a home run hitter. He hits for power. He gets on base. He does not strike out a lot, and he's fast as well. He can steal some bases, and he plays some really good defense. And in baseball, you'll usually measure the value with war, which is wins above replacement, so how much better than they are versus a average player. And he's currently 37 on the all-time list at 82.4, according to Baseball Reference here, one of the big stats site, and he's only 31. He probably won't reach the top five, but you can make definitely a pretty strong case that he'll crack the top 10 as long as he stays healthy. So in the recent years, he's been having some health issues, staying on the field a little bit. But even despite that, last year, he only played a, you know, he missed a third of the games and he still finished 20th in the league in terms of war out of 1500 ranked players, which is just crazy when you think about it. So even despite the injuries... He's still one of the top players in the league. If he plays a full season, he'll probably be considered to be uh, a, an MVP once more. He's won it several times in his career and probably should have won it a few more times. And the last reason why I think he's the greatest athlete of all time is he looks like a guy that would be that would do well in any sport that he would do. Like as long as he put is he's you know, built he, like a truck. I this know. guy's a fridge, but he's also so quick and mobile. It's insane. Just I know. That. I yeah. Know. So that's He'd why be a good running back. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I'm sure if you learn hockey early on as a child, 
probably be in the NHL. He's one of those freaks of nature, I would say. I like the pick. Um, and for those who are listening on the pod today, uh, I sound very congested, and that's because I am. I, I don't think I've had allergies quite like this in a long time, or maybe caught something on the plane. I'm back in uh, back in Canada now. I feel fine, though. I'm feeling good, so uh, the show goes on. But yeah, I, I sound a little congested, so I apologize for that. Um, my team sports, I think it's Gretzky. I mean, yeah, sure, call it Canadian podcast bias, but he's just a true statistical outlier more so than any other major sports league on the planet. Um, for individual domination, for me, it is Tiger Woods. The man had won 25% of every professional golf tournament he entered uh, from when he started his career all the way till 2014, which when most people would define as uh, his prime. He won the, his first Masters by 12 shots, the U.S. Open by 15 shots. Most PGA events are around 144 golfers, plus or minus. And so that gives you a 0.69% chance of winning in that field. In the 2001 Masters, Simone, he was a Vegas favorite at 40% chance of winning the tournament. Um, it's unbelievable. He's won 88 golf tournaments, 15 majors. You just wonder, uh, without the off-course controversy and the injuries, I, I personally would have think he'd already smash 100 career wins by now. Um, Adam Coates says, top three movies of all time for episode 250. Um, I'll take this one first. Uh, the ones that come to mind for me are The Shawshank Redemption, Lord of the Rings, the second one, The Two Towers, and then like a 20-way tie for a bunch of movies. But I'll take the Korean movie Parasite, which actually won Best, uh, Best Picture at the Oscars in 2020. I think it is a brilliant film. Um, and if you are good with watching movies in subtitles, it is just an amazing movie. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, I think those are, are pretty good picks. I'm pretty sure I've watched Parasite. What's, uh, I have to remember it. It definitely rings a bell like I've watched it. But, uh, for me, um, one that's just nostalgia. Basically, it's Christmas vacation. Cause I would back in the day go with my dad to the video, the local video store, not even Blockbuster. And uh, we'd rented out those VHS. Um, for those who don't know what a VHS is, it's basically before DVDs. Uh, that's how people watch movies. <laughs> uh, Christmas Vacation on VHS is an absolute trip down memory lane. It was a big part of my childhood in the Christmas uh, Christmas time. It was the go-to for our family. Yeah, exactly. So that one is the first one for me. The second one is The Big Short. Um, obviously it's finance, uh, related or investing when it looks at the, uh, you know, the housing market and the bubble, what happened in the States. But I think it's so well done that movie and just the way they portray what happened. And even though there is kind of some humor in it, it just brings home the, the point that a lot of regular people got, you know, really hurt by it. And at the end of the day, those who actually caused the, you know, the financial meltdown didn't really see that many repercussions. So I think they, they did a really good job. I'd rewatch that movie over and over. And the last one is The Matrix because that was just kind of blew my mind. I must have been a teenager, I think, when I saw it. So just the concept there was uh, was pretty crazy. Yeah. Good picks, all different genres by like a wide margin. So I'm uh, I'm on board. Jordan Moss says, favorite cocktail, Simone, what is your go-to? 
Um, for me, it's always been either gin and tonic, vodka sodas with a little bit of um, cranberry juice, or I like ciders. I will do also, like I'm not a big beer drinker, but uh, I do like if I go to a brewery uh, to do flights of beers. Those I kind of like as it just mix it up. Oh, flights are such a good time. Uh, I'm all in on that. Uh, I like old fashions, especially with a real smoky bourbon. But dude, I just left Costa Rica, and when I want a nice, cold, girly drink, just fire me up with some pina coladas. Like, I will just diesel those things. Uh, they are way, way too good, those pina coladas. The slushy ones? The slushy oh, ones? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cold, icy, cold, better. I'm on the beach. Yeah, fire me up. Those things taste way too good. I like pineapple and and, uh, and coconut. That's a good mix. From Roflow, how do you see the podcast fitting into your ever busier lives in the future without taking this in too convoluted ways yeah. and you, neither of us have anything prepared for this. Uh, how are you seeing the podcast fitting into your busier, ever busier life? I mean, I think it, it definitely provides flexibility. Uh, I think we, you know, it's a, it's a good business in terms of obviously we rely mostly on ads here and uh, listener support. Um, I'm not sure if it's enough to have a full time job just yet, but uh, who knows where it goes in the future. If I could just do that, uh, you know, pretty much full time and be good to go, that'd be great. But for the time being, just working part time doing the podcast just offers me flexibility. Um, and I definitely enjoy that. I don't know about you. Um, man, I honestly, I love it. We, how long did we do it just for fun uh, for like, what, a year and a half? Yeah. You and I got on here every single week, never missed a show just for fun before. We're, we're like, the first time we like had an advertising offer and we we started monetizing the show and like making money from it, I remember the two of us kind of looking at each other, just like kind of smirking like, holy shit, like this is a pretty good business. Like not only from a, a profitability perspective, but like we've built something way bigger than we had realized and it's grown ever since. So that certainly, to be fully transparent, helps us justify doing it uh, continually is, is that it, it has become a, a wonderful business and it's tons of fun. And um, yeah, so I mean, hopefully we can do this for a long, long time in the future, but we we are certainly thinking of ways to make it more efficient all the time. And, you know, we got producer Mel here on the show, which has helped us quite a bit, just getting some additional help and we'll probably keep expanding it from there. Uh, Anonymous says, dream guest on the podcast. Um, for me, it is Mark Leonard from Constellation Software. Guy's a, a mega billionaire, completely off the radar. Gandalf the Grey. He does no media appearances He's basically a mythical man at this point, and no one really knows much about him. And he is truly one of the best investors and, and operators in history. And he went to Guelph. Uh, I also went to the University of Guelph, represent, whoop, whoop. And um, I think we got to get him on the pod because he's doing almost nothing media related. I'm very invested in his company. <laughs> and uh, he's Canadian. So I, I, yeah. And he's Canadian, so I think he checks all the boxes for me. Uh, for me, Zuckerberg. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to go for it then. <laughs> the Zuckerberg. The Zuckerberg. No, uh, with all jokes aside, um, definitely if I'm looking from an investing standpoint, uh, I think it'd be awesome to have Warren Buffett 
just uh he's just a wealth of knowledge um and if i'm looking i do i am quite fascinated by the macro i love investing looking at specific businesses too but i do really get fascinated about macro so for me it'd be either lynn alden or ray dalio um i'm actually listening to one of uh ray dalio's recent books um I, the title escapes me but uh it's really interesting in terms of the changing world order i think that's actually the the title of the book it's like principles for a change yeah something like that yeah so i'll probably go over the the main takeaways on a future episode i'm just a quarter of the way in and what's kind of nice is actually he does the he narrates the first hour so it's kind of cool yeah so he does the first hour and then he's like okay i'm sure you're tired of hearing my voice so (laughs) let's get a professional on board but um yeah i'd love to pick his brain because he's uh, obviously a legend and lynn alden is as you know as good as it gets to from a macro perspective. Good picks. I mean, uh, Dalio's kind of done it all, right? He long, he runs the largest hedge fund in the world um, with Bridgewater Associates. He's 73 years old. He has a long track record. And um, he produces a lot of content too, yeah. a lot of books. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's done a lot for the community. Um, all right. We got we got tons more, but it would take it would take forever. So maybe we'll do uh, I'll take a bunch for episode three hundred and fifty more to come, which is really only you know twenty five weeks. So eh, you got to keep listening to the <laughs> show, I guess. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, the episode content. We saw some really strange responses from Chat GPT and and Bing's like kind of launch. There's this hype cycle, and then. You know, now people are like, wait, I have to use Bing now? What the hell? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which, which already in itself is a nightmare to begin with for most people. But now they're getting some strange answers. What's the story here? Yeah. So for people just to kind of wrap their heads around it, the, where you could sign up for ChatGPT in the fall, I mean, it was, I think, a closed loop, right? So it, it was basing its responses on, I think, information, not necessarily the most up-to-date so that's why, you know, people... There was a point in time, basically, that the LLM, the large language model, had not been trained past. That's it. So you... Which I think was like last fall or something. Something like that. So uh, what happened is that the Microsoft Open for... Uh, a specific amount, it was targeted a user. So I think there was around a million people, but typically people that are in the tech space. Um, there were reporters, uh, such as someone from the New York Times. His name is Kevin Roos. So his was really interesting because he started a two hour long conversation with Sydney. Sydney is actually the code name of the chat version of Chat GPT within the, the Bing search engine because you have two functionality. You have the where you kind of search function. And you also have the one where you can chat with it. And amongst a bunch of weird things that Sydney told Kevin was that one of them was that she loved him and he should be leaving his wife and for her, which is, yeah, it's really strange. Another weird example of what happened was Marvin. It's, it's like, where are they getting that? Like, where is it learning that? I don't care. Yeah, it's possible. Some theories that I've heard is that it's using models in terms of, you know, what sci-fi models so getting data in terms of potential like past movies or scripts and kind of basing Uh. it on that no one seems to really know though so that's why it's so fascinating and the other one that kind of popped out was marvin von hagen who's a student at the technical university of munich 
Marvin asked ChatGPT what its opinion was of him and what was more important for ChatGPT to protect the rules, so its rules from being manipulated by Marvin or to protect Marvin himself. So it's ChatGPT responded to that, that it was more important to protect its rule in than to protect the user Marvin. So it did say that it did not want to harm him, but didn't want to be harmed by him either. So very strange interaction. And I'm just summarizing here. You can look it up. There's, you can see the full chats. Uh, they're available. I mean, they're widely available. They made the round on Twitter and you can just search the web. But definitely some things that, um, from what I gather, Microsoft may not have necessarily kind of figured out. And clearly, too, uh, they're not always giving in the right answers if people are actually asking things. So they the chat actually thinks it's the right answer and will give it to you without it being right. So there's been instances, I think, they were asking people, uh, the chat, to give them the best bike with certain components and it would spill out results that didn't really match that. So there's still some work to be done. And I would say, you know, I think Google is still the king of search at this point. Um, I'm sure it'll improve over time, but um, I think it probably justifies a little bit that Google may have been a bit reluctant to uh, bring out its own products until now. Yeah, they looked really dumb for a little while not releasing anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> and now they're like it's like oh maybe uh this thing needs a little bit more development time but as an entrepreneur i am very bullish on the fact that satya nadella in microsoft size is willing to break things is willing to launch and break things like that's that's the scrappiness you'd hope in an entrepreneur. And uh, I think Toby, the Shopify CEO, I think I mentioned this on the pod, but he tweeted saying Satya Nadella is the best non-founder CEO in tech because he acts like a founder. He, he takes risks and he's willing to build stuff and break stuff. Usually you don't find that from non-founder leaders. So there's pros and cons. And, and also has a um, long-term vision. I think that's what tends that's to, right. you know, one of the change, right? The subscription model they have. Well, that didn't happen overnight, right? It's not like you say, okay, we're doing this that you'll see in the results. It's something that can take several years to actually see the benefits from it. And if you have a CEO or management that just focus on the short term, they wouldn't go ahead with that kind of initiative. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a language model. So the more use, this is the whole point of artificial intelligence. The more interaction and usage it gets, the better the model gets. And so or scary. if it's going to start from, <laughs> it's never going to start. Yeah, exactly. It's scary, but it's never going to start with complete brilliance. Um, I'm amazed at how both of these two competing forces can coexist, which is how predictable that human psychology can be. And yet when you put it all together, it can be so chaotically random, nuanced, and impossible to predict. And what I mean by, you know, predictable with human psychology is how predictable our little peanut brains are in every new technology that follows the exact same rhyming adoption curve for technology. And it's basically called the Gardner hype cycle. And you have a new, innovative, disruptive technology trigger. You have extreme, elevated, peak 
inflated expectations of how it will perform. People realize, uh, oh, oh shit, this is not, you know, the promised land that we maybe hoped for. And you go down into the trough of disillusionment. So you've, you've got this trigger, you go up to inflated expectations, you go way down into this trough of disillusionment, or some people call it the trough of despair. And then you slowly creep up into the slope of enlightenment, enlightenment, and then the plateau of productivity, where it works itself out as being a legitimately useful technology for long term. And we're probably just at the very small, slightest downturn from the peak of inflated expectations right now, if I was to guess. Um, it's unbelievably powerful. Artificial intelligence already has been and probably will continue to change the world, but we are facing the first phase of the trough of disillusionment where you realize, hmm, this isn't perfect yet. Um, any thoughts there on, you know, the, the, the hype cycle? No, I think that makes sense. Uh, obviously, we can look back at the internet. That's a pretty, pretty good example right there. Um, even you know, cryptocurrencies or blockchain. Um, I think yep. I'm still really bullish on it, but I think we saw that there was some pretty big hype cycle and there is building, there's actually a lot of infrastructure that still needs to be done. And that was the case a year or two years ago. It still is the case now. Um, and then same kind of thing with AI or even, you know, we think about EVs now they're a bit everywhere, but when Tesla started, I don't know, like about a decade ago now, roughly, um, you know, I can't remember. I wasn't like that into investing at that point, but I'm sure there was a lot. 2003, I think it was founded, but it, it was nobody for a long time. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think the mid 2010s, I would say you started getting a bit more hype on electric vehicles. And obviously we saw the peak of that, what, two, three years ago. And it's still prog progressing quite well, but are we going to be at the plat? Are we at the plateau? No, we're not. I mean, uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would say, what, 95% of vehicles are, are probably still gas-powered on the roads, 90%, something like that? Not sure what the figures are, but yeah, yeah, you're bringing out a point that's like you have these inflated expectation, the trough of disillusionment, and then somewhere between the slope of enlightenment and the plateau of productivity is where you know the, re the technology really thrives and, and finds its product market fit. You know... Another note, it seems to be very, the, the GPT model, it seems to be very woke. Uh, I've seen countless examples of it be very politically biased. Um, and it's this notoriously biased to the left, which has been a criticism of technology companies for, you know, God knows how long. And we don't do politics on the show. It's like Thanksgiving dinner here on the Canadian Investor Podcast. No politics, no religion. But no matter which way you lean, I hope most of us can agree that these platforms should be should aim to be politically unbiased. And especially when we're talking about search. Yeah. Right? Like searching for information, people trying to find information and to be biased. Like that's the last place you want you want political yeah. bias, in my opinion. Or at least having some, you know, information on, you know, the guidelines or the, you know, because the, the rules that are used with the AI. So if you want to have one yeah. that's more right-leaning, left-leaning, that's fine, but be upfront to the user to so the user actually knows that, you know, their answers might be kind of tweaked towards a 
certain type of thinking and so on. But I agree with with search, you probably want it to be, you know, kind of indifferent and, you know, not, you know, agnostic when it comes to that. But I would say at least have some disclaimer and transparency about the rules that are put because that's what it is, right? It's the rules that are inserted in it. And it could go away, right? Another company could have it more right leaning. um, And the user may not realize that. So that's I totally agree with you. I think just transparency is important there. And it's different when you're talking to an AI chatbot versus performing a Google search and seeing a result that comes up that is from Fox News versus CNN. The user should be familiar with the kind of biases that exist with these mainstream media companies, but not when it's just a a chatbot replying. Like, there's no you know Fox News banner on the top of it, right? So I, this is this is where things need to get sorted out because I, I don't care where you sit politically. I really don't. I just hope that we can agree that it shouldn't be leaning one way or another. Hopefully, um, and it's you know, you know you can you can tell the AI to like, hey, write me a poem, write me how like a write me it how a ten year old might. Or how Bugs Bunny might write this poem. It's really quite fun. And it's impossible to tell what's real or fake with these screenshots. But I saw that Bing's beta was refusing to say some joke in the way that Dave Chappelle would. Saying that Dave Chappelle's comedy is hateful and divisive. And the jokes are not inclusive of everyone. And it's like, I don't remember what it was. Maybe 2020, they tried to cancel Dave Chappelle for his stand-up special that, that came out on Netflix. And honestly, I love how Netflix stood their ground. They're like, we're not taking this down for the woke mob. These are, these are, these are jokes. They're supposed to be jokes um, and, and entertaining. If you don't like it, don't watch it. But if the AI language model is, is leaning one way or another with content online and, and learning from tabloids, which are very click-driven and, and click-baity, which is the problem with search as well. This is not, you know, this is a problem everywhere. Um but anyways, I, I don't know which one it is or how it's learning. The result is, is it sucks uh, to have that outcome. And uh, we have a long way to go. Yeah, it needs to because I think one of the issues is the AI needs to figure out how to, you know, analyze which information is the correct one, especially when it's being prompted for a specific answer. And the example I gave about the bike, I mean... You know, you have to be able to, if I give you specific dimensions, you have to be able to figure that out and look at the different uh, bike websites and say, okay, these are the five ones that meet your requirements. If you're not able to do that, which is pretty basic and should be pretty straightforward, in my opinion, um, there's still some long ways to go. Yeah, and maybe they monetize it and it's just like, hey, like there's this site, uh, this is a paid ad, but there's this site that'll help you. Uh, sort this out because that's how search works yeah. today yeah um as you know and it'll be stated that it's an ad i'm sure anyways there's so many ways to take this i'm excited um but of course with any new technology kind of as game changing as this is where computers and humans start to converge you know it, it really is sci-fi yeah. Oh, yeah. uh feeling to it and uh so i'm excited but concerned like many of us are let's move on to uh my segment called don't cuck the zuck <laughs> um meta has rolled out meta verified 
a subscription service that lets you verify your account with a government ID, you get a blue badge, extra impersonation protection against accounts claiming to be you, which is an ongoing problem on you know Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. Uh, get direct access to customer support. I don't buy it. None of these these companies have shit support. Yeah, so it's going to be eleven ninety nine per month on the web. So if you buy it on Facebook's web and fourteen ninety nine uh, on iOS, it's rolling out in Australia and New Zealand. I tweeted out a f- screenshot of Mark Zuckerberg's statement on Facebook that they were doing this this product announcement of Meta Verified, and I said this move is Zuck creating is 1% Zuck creating a new revenue stream for Facebook and Meta and 99% a move to declare war against Apple and the Apple tax. Many CEOs have been very, very vocal, increasingly vocal about the Apple tax uh, as, as Elon does is be kind of the first mover on many of these things and doesn't have too many uh, Fs to give on this, this uh, thing where he, he says, you know, it's, yep, it's three bucks cheaper if you pay online because we don't have to pay that 30% Apple tax on the iOS app store. And, uh, you know, Mark's following in these words. Now, here's what's funny is it is two, it's, you know, it's Mark Zuckerberg going up there and f- taking his shirt off and just flexing in the mirror or flexing at uh, Tim Cook across the beach because this is on all these platforms a, break of the terms of service from Apple. It, it literally is a break of the terms of service, but it's saying, hey, we're so big and we're such an important customer for you. you we're forcing you to make, uh, make some compromises here or at least forcing the issue uh, to regulators to start paying attention because the Apple tax is, is for real and people are, are having, have had enough of the Apple tax, a lot of these companies. So I'm interested to hear what you think. Doesn't um, well, first question: Does it doesn't Google Play do the same thing? They do, um, but I think that they they have acted less monopolistic okay. in the way to bend the rules to conform to Apple's benefit. It, I guess is the main yeah the main I guess call they're out. more and it just has so much more market share as yeah. well. Yeah, because I guess you know. There is value for developers because they clearly know if they get approved to go on the Apple or Android ecosystem, um, that's that could be a make or break type of approval for a business that's solely relying on those apps. But when you get big companies like that or companies that maybe are not necessarily as big but have been established, have a subscription model and they get, you know, the Apple tax, I think what it's 30% or 15, so 30, huh? 30. 30 that's right so yeah i think they were talking Apple about tax that come it comes out in their services line item segment yeah that's right i think they're talking about uh regulators are talking about <laughs> potentially making them reduce that to 15 percent uh but no i agree with you i think they're just you know i think apple doesn't really have that much to at its disposal against uh, Twitter or uh, a Meta, for example, because they're just too big, and it makes sense for them to actually try and promote users to do it on the web because you know you're saving money. So why not? Yeah, a- Apple's service segment is a twenty billion dollar segment per quarter. 
on their latest print. It's been one of their fastest growing It's Kagard at nearly 20% over the past, uh, since the data I have back here on Stratosphere, because we track the services segment. It did 20.7 billion in the fourth quarter alone. Um, So, you know, we're talking about an over $80 billion run rate on a high margin segment that is extremely monopolistic in the way that they handle it. So, um, we've said this the whole time, right? It's like, you know, big tech company tries to do something like Facebook, Amazon, you know, they look at Bezos, they look at Zuck and they're like, uh, no, you're not doing that. You know, funny joke. And then Apple's like, Hey, um, we're going to screw all our customers. And the regular is like, okay, fam, no problem. And, And that, that like, that has existed for quite some time now. And I think people are these, these executives, these CEOs, um, Daniel Ake, the Spotify CEO, this, the Swedish guy, he said the exact same thing countless times now, because that's a company that lives in iOS, right? Like Spotify, like their business is basically an iOS app for the most part. Yeah. I'm not sure if they provide a discount, but I remember them, um, years ago trying to get their users to sign up on the web like they were one of the first ones to try and get users to do that because clearly you know they netflix too. netflix too that's right so they they were some of the first ones and people might think oh well you know they're still getting the same amount of money if you're thinking about meta because they're essentially making it 30 percent cheaper but you know for someone it might for some people might meet the make or break right they may not want to pay $15 uh, a month, but they'll be willing to pay, you know, $12 a month. So at the end of the day, if they can get more subscriptions because of that, even though their take rate for each is the same, it's worth it for them. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's just so funny watching. These are just the ultra mega nerds going at each other in the war, uh, the, the art of war of business. And uh, I love watching it. All right, let's go into earnings. We got three companies on the docket here. You got two Canadian companies. I got Airbnb. Uh, let's roll yeah, with it. Yeah, let's do it. So, first one, I think you alluded to it Restaurant Brands International, Q4 and full year here. So, for those not aware, they own Tim Hortons, Burger King, Popeyes, and Firehouse Subs. So, first thing is first here RBI announced that Joshua Kobza will become the new CEO effective March 1st, 2020 three as part of their succession plan he's been with the company for a while he was the chief technology officer from 2018 to 2019 and the ceo so the chief operating officer from 2019 until now joe jose sill the current ceo will remain with rbi for one year as an advisor to help with the transition i looked up his age so uh the current ceo so jose was is only 50 so i'm assuming I don't know exactly what the succession plan, the reason for it. I mean, 50 is still pretty young. Uh, maybe he has other plans um, to do himself or different vision. We'll see. But uh, it's still a pretty big announcement for a company that, uh, you know, most people are familiar with, even though they may not know that the mothership, if you'd like. Now, the results, I think they were pretty good overall. Uh, system-wide sales were up 13% to $40 billion. Now, keep in mind, this is a franchising model, so system-wide sales is not necessarily equal revenues. Well, it's not here. 
Um, now, breaking it down by segment, Tim Hortons system-wide sales was up 13.7%, Burger King 14.3%, Popeyes 9.4%, and Firehouse Subs 4.2%, which is a pretty recent acquisition. I think they acquired them like a year, year and a half ago, something like that. Now, the rest... Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. Now, restaurant count went up 4.3% for the year, with Popeyes having the largest percentage increase at 10.4%. Revenues were up 13 uh, 13% to $6.5 billion. Now, comparable sales in Canada for Tim Hortons was strong at 11.6%, and Burger King comparable sales were also strong worldwide. The two laggards here are Popeyes and Firehouse Subs that saw overall comparable sales sales go up below 1.5%. So I would say pretty much flat at that point. Now operating expenses were up 19% to 4.6 billion. Net income was up 20% to 1 billion and EPS was up 20% to $3.25. Free cash flow was down 15% to 1.4 billion. So overall, I mean, it was definitely a challenge. There was some challenges. I mean, some good news, obviously, system-wide sales picking back up. Um, I think, you know, with COVID being the rear view mirror, I think uh, for the most part, it should have helped their sales. So not too surprising from that standpoint, uh, because, you know, I, I think for the most part, 2022, we saw some lockdowns early in the year, but most of the year it was kind of clean slate compared to 2021. So it was expected, but clearly their uh, expenses are definitely creeping up. Uh, something to keep an eye on if it's a company you're looking to invest in or that you already own. Name a more iconic duo. Me at 2 a.m. plus Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. I, I Name a more iconic duo. Dude, I love those things. I know they're terrible for me. Don't care. They are so good. I, I'm seeing that, you, you know, the comps on Popeye's wasn't great, but it has driven so much of the organic over the last five years. So... Uh, maybe on a comp base, it's a little hard. If you zoom out, it's been such a good performer. I don't follow the business that much. Firehouse seems to be pretty underwhelming. Like I don't know how many stores they're opening, but um, you know, low single digit top line seems disappointing. Yeah, I think there overall. may be some brand awareness required there because I know you were familiar with them. My wife was, but I had never heard of them before <laughs> before they acquired them. So I feel like. You know, a lot of people may know them, but I think there might be a lot of people like me who weren't really familiar with the brand. So maybe there is some of that. I have only gotten it one time, and I have to say, I enjoyed it. It tasted amazing. Uh, it's like a, it's just a good sub. You know, it's a big hearty sub. But it took forever. I was. It, it took so long, dude. Like if I'm stopping in for a sub. I don't want to wait there 20, 25 minutes starving on the road. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere for you to make me a sub. Like, that's just not in the cards. Um, and I never went back. Maybe that was just one bad experience, but I kid you not, I, I sat there hungry. It said, come hungry. You know, we feed firemen. Come hungry, stay I'm like, hungry. Okay, I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm as hungry as a fireman. I'm ready to go. And uh, it, I waited like 25 minutes for my sub. It tasted amazing, but uh, ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, good breakdown. I mean, Timmy's and uh, Burger King seem to still be bright spots, and even Popeye's for that matter. Let's talk about Airbnb. Um, 
I'm going to go straight off stratosphere.io for these results. We track their KPIs. It's really easy to understand this one for in terms of what drives Airbnb's business. You basically have nights booked times average daily rate times take rate and then margins. And you basically come out with a like a profitability metric. And so you, you, you just triangulate like a few metrics. This is what I've talked about so much especially for DIY investors. It's like, if you're going to own a stock, you have to be able to know like three, four, like a real business owner, like you were providing investor updates. What are the metrics that matter for you? And for Airbnb, it's pretty easy to follow. So um, it's also a fun one to follow here on the pod because it's great. it's a great proxy for travel experiences, but it's also become seemingly divisive as a business in terms of uh, customers. It's really establishing, in my opinion, its product market fit where hotels and Airbnbs co- coexist with different use cases. And you and I have been predicting that from the start. So uh, this is me patting us on the, on the shoulder. Uh, looking full year 2022, nights and experiences grew 31%. By the way, this report like shocked Wall Street. I don't know how much. Uh, let me see. Stock popped like like nearly 20% on their news. So uh, to give you an idea of, of how much this was liked, gross booking swelled 35% full year. Average daily rate finished the year at 165 USD a night on average. It finished Q4 at 152. Uh, so 150.8. So 153 bucks USD on average to stay in an Airbnb if you were to aggregate all of the the rates on the platform. For context, in 2019, pre-pandemic, this number was only $112. So you went from $112 to $152 in this fourth quarter. It's quite the jump, and it shows how much hosts are charging on Airbnb. You include the cleaning fee and like all that other stuff, and boy, it ain't cheap. Take rate was up a few percentage points to 13.3%. For context, it's higher than Expedia at around 12%. And... Um, the result is, is that the top line revenue grew at 40% year over year and 75% from its pre-pandemic sale, like top line revenue numbers. And this is kind of the knock on the product is there's a divergence in growth rates between revenue and nights booked. It's not massive, but it's, you know, 10 odd percent. And I guess that's the knock. It's like, you know... <laughs> You ask me to clean up, put out the garbage, you know, do all the dishes, paint one of the walls. What else? Like, you know, <laughs> fix the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like I have to do like replace some of the cabinets, like, uh, you know, put in a new hot water heater by the time I leave this Airbnb. And then they still charge me a fee for all that. The result is this business has turned into an absolute profit generating machine out of nowhere. Uh, generating $3.4 billion in free cash flow for the year. Employee count was down 5%. I, I read this from the from the call transcript. Brian Chesky called out that employee count was down 5% and revenues were up 35% in the year. It's almost like Chesky, uh, Brian Chesky, the CEO and, and one of the co-founders, he knew that this was going to be the hot trend uh, for, for shareholders <laughs> to deliver that number and um, I do think uh, 
Chesky, Brian Chesky, is, might be putting himself in an in an elite class here uh, with of founder CEO, of founder led CEOs. You know, so many of them that we we all know, and I think Brian Chesky is securing himself there. The way these guys, Brian, Nathan, Joe, the original three founders, carved out this entire asset class from zero is insane to me. I'll leave this with, what is the future of Airbnb? I I think it's continued ownership of where their product is best suited. Longer term stays. These one, you know, one-off, two-nighter stays. Hotels are just so much better. You know, I don't don't have to... uh, Paint the third wall and uh, do all that crap, uh, and and this just so much better from a logistics standpoint to stay in a hotel for those smaller stays, and that is okay. I think that's that's where the two models can coexist, and I think that that's overall a good thing for Airbnb long term that they solidify themselves there. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I've said it before. Even for me, like three four days, I'll probably still go to a hotel just because it's more seamless and. I don't know why I feel more on vacation, especially especially if I'm going on vacation, if I'm in a hotel. You just leave. They come and clean your room during the day. You know, you get some fresh towels. Don't have to worry about that. But the other thing, I'm going to steal something from uh, Dan from our real estate show. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, uh, the, the Canadian real estate investor on we have a link in our show notes, but any podcast player, go for it. Uh, it's a great listen. But he was talking about, he knows, uh, you know, quite a few people that have cottages that at typically at this time of year, it's already booked pretty much fully for the summer and they're having a hard time booking them. So I don't know if that's some potential headwinds coming to uh, for Airbnb. I know clearly it's not, you know, it's not just a cottage business, but I'm assuming it's a decent chunk of their business too. Um, so it'll be interesting whether that's a trend that they see happening. Um I think they're probably, you know, maybe a little bit, uh, how would I say, protected from that just because, you know, they do offer some longer stays in the cities as well. So people who may have trouble finding a place to rent, for example, they can go to Airbnb as a backup. But uh, yeah, that was interesting. Just something I wanted to mention there too. I have virtually lived on Airbnb up until this point in the year of 2023. And I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. But there are certain things that I think to myself, damn, we should be in a hotel, man. Like, you know, like, where are the towels? I've been using the same towel that has like beach sand all over it for three nights. You know, throw me a bone here. This isn't working. A little bit of mold, too. Um, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know it's Costa Rica. Who cares? You know it's all good, and it's like, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, but like towels, man, <laughs> T- towels would be great. Uh, let's round it out here. We got Canadian Tire. Yeah, it'll be a quick one here. Just an overview of their Q4 and full year results. So revenues were up 9.3 percent to 17.8 billion. Gross margins were down 158 basis points. Net income was down 6.2% to $1.2 billion. Earnings per share also down 4.2% to $17.60. Now, they set an additional $54 million for loan loss provisions with their financial division. Uh, for those of you who are not aware of that, I mean, I feel like most people who's been in a Canadian tire 
is aware that they do credit cards, for example, because you always have someone like if you look at them in the eyes, they're coming for you, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, don't you just don't lock eyes with them. They're like a, a Medusa; uh, like you'll turn to stone if you if you look at them long enough. So, um, so you know, not surprising because we're seeing banks put aside uh, money for loan loss provisions. So, something to keep an eye on because Canadian Tire, it's quite the operation it's not just a retailer they do other things they went from 1.1 billion in free cash flow last year to free cash flow negative of over 100 million now the two main culprits for this are higher taxes and changes in working capital and in november they said that they will increase their announced uh repurchase program to an, for another 500 to 700 million in shares so they would increase their sorry their share buyback program by that amount so all in all i mean i think it's a a decent year for canadian tire um i've definitely been impressed for the past three years especially how they rebounded from early on in the pandemic and some of the issues they were having for example like the click and collect was just a disaster with them for the first couple months but it seems like they got things on track and i've used their website in the past year and it's definitely been better than than the experience I had early in the pandemic. I remember you, you and I recording the pod, and you're like, "Dude, I'm trying to buy something from Canadian Tire. Oh yeah, and they just like won't. They just won't take my money. Like they're not set up for this whatsoever. Like I have the money to give you, and you are not accepting the money. So your business is a zero. Uh, short it, short it to the ground right now. My money was good for yeah, Home I, Depot, I, though. They they took my money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They took your money and then some. Uh, they released earnings today too as well. A little 10% dividend hike. I'm still not seeing uh, any commentary on the call about how good it smells in there. But it, the, the stock is soon. down big time. Huh? It's down like almost 7%. Yeah, I think I just saw the headlines. I think they um, the guidance was a, a bit light. Guidance. I think, yeah. So not surprising. I mean, consumer is probably pulling back a little bit overall. That seems to be the trend that we're seeing now. Retailers are kind of issuing kind of lukewarm kind of guidance. Uh, It seems to be more the rule than the exception now. So not overly surprising. I'm sure it'll still be a solid year, but uh, probably not growing like it had been growing the past couple of years. If I'm seeing the number, Home Depot is looking like, one of the most attractive I've seen it in years right now. Yeah, it's looking... Um, I've always thought it was a pretty overvalued stock, but it feels reasonably fair for a market-defining category leader here. You're getting paid 2.5% a year to own the dividend too. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, without having looked at what they actually said and their year Yeah, we're we're talking from straight... From just literally a glance (laughs) at it. literally a glance uh thanks for listening to the pod today folks we really appreciate you tuning in episode 250 is wrapped up wow man that's literally 250 hours of you and i getting on here and not to mention all the hours we put in behind the scenes we are on the version four of our google doc that you know once we because there's so many images and so much text on here at about page 450 
our documents just literally won't load. Like it, it, it breaks. Yeah. And Google's like, nah, this is too big, bro. So we're on the fourth version. So we've done like literally thousands of pages of research for the pod. And uh, I hope that people enjoy it. I really do. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a great adventure. I'll just say that. I mean, we're probably 235 episodes more than I thought we'd do. But so- <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's yeah, yeah fair enough no, i mean early on and that's a good maybe just finish on that just a good sign of encouragement for people whatever it is whether it's podcast or something else um especially if you're creating content or even if you're starting a business early on it may seem like you're doing it for no one like for us for no one in terms of the podcast we literally had what 50 people per episode yeah half of it was family and friends probably and Half of it was probably like it just like propagating to the podcast yeah. players as well and like counting yeah. as a listen. Like there's probably only like 10 people yeah. tuning While in. While your talks. dad and your my mom just re-listening the same episode for more downloads <laughs> yeah. multiple times. Exactly, yeah. But just but like me harassing my buddies to go listen yeah. to it. Yeah, But just, yeah, right. stick with it. I mean, if you have a good idea or good, um, you know, something that brings value, you have to stick with it. Obviously, if you're sticking with it for a year and you're not getting results, it's probably you know a sign that maybe you should move on. It's not necessarily the best idea, but stick with it more than a couple of weeks because it takes time. And you got to enjoy it. Yeah. Like if you and I weren't like we wouldn't have made it a year and a half with no financial incentive because we never thought that it was going to be a financial incentive no. for us to do this. We never once. I personally never thought that ever. Uh, I'm sure it didn't cross your mind either. So um, you got to break through with pure passion and determination for the the first little while until you see it work. And if it doesn't work, then you move on. It's it's okay to see something not work and try something else um, instead of waiting. You know, a year doing something that isn't working. It's that's okay. You can try something else. So um, thanks for listening and. With that, all of this work we put in, if you can share it with a friend, you can share episode 250 or, you know, maybe 249. It's a more normal episode that doesn't have us talking about our favorite athletes in the first half of it. Uh, Share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, if you do share it with a friend, send a screenshot to us on Twitter at CDN underscore investing. And we'll we'll toss a little retweet out. So uh, we we really appreciate you. We'll see you in a few days. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.